Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. I don't know what your traditions were when you were, uh, you know, some of you are still growing up. Well, some of us still are trying to. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, Easter means a lot of things to different people and, and their traditions and family. And some of us, you know, we, we grew up with like we got our special Easter clothes. I don't know if that was so much for guys as it was girls in, in my generation. I mean, we got these little, you know, is, was, is it true for you guys? Because I probably went to two Easter services my whole life when I was a kid, but... But I remember I did get a I did get a chocolate bunny. You know, every year I got this giant. I never made the connection. I couldn't. I mean, I never understood the bunny and Easter thing. But 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 I love. I got one that big one. And I remember eat his ears first. That was the first thing we did. You know, eat the ears. And uh, but then when I became a Christian, I realized that you know Easter is a pretty big deal. And uh, and so our family, we realized when we started going to church early on. I think I have a picture here of our. One of our first Easter's. There we are. Uh, yep. That uh, we were out on the plains. Uh, we got off our wagon and uh, you know hitched the horses up and uh, said, "Let's go." And uh, <laughs> when our youngest wasn't born yet, but this is one of our first Easter's. And I, you know, I was I was kind of into it. I was like, "Hey, this is, this is pretty cool." And uh, <laughs> I mean, the flowers and uh, new life and spring and, and it was it was a very uh, it was a very cool feeling. And, uh, you know, but there's a there's this thing behind Easter. There's this uh, wonderful theme that runs with all of this, I suppose, that is life and expectation and newness that even I felt before I was a Christian at that period you know in that period of time I there was a sense of something going on and and so Easter has about it this this miraculous reminder that something very special has happened now for those of us who are followers of Jesus we kind of I hope you think about this almost every day that Jesus is different than any other guru, any other wise man, that he's the one who came out of the grave. He's, you know, he went to the cross for us, but that wasn't the end of the story. In the resurrection is this amazing picture of a, I don't know how you could get a more holistic view of healing than in the resurrection. Uh, and so I want to talk about healing, and I'm calling this Easter eggs because for the next three weeks, I want to look at a few of the things that because of the resurrection of Christ, the gifts that we have been given, there is an expectation in Easter, an expectation in the resurrection of Christ that we didn't have before. And when it comes to talking about healing, it gets very, what's the word? What word would you use? Tense, uh, complicated, uh, maybe it's very, uh, maybe it's, there's various views. Maybe it's awkward even talking about, does God still heal today? I mean, we, a lot of us would go, yeah, he can heal. Hey, he's God, but I just don't see it very much. 
I just don't know. And so Jesus' life, 727 verses out of 3,779 deal with healing. 20% of what Jesus did in the Gospels dealt with healing. So what do we do with those? Do we we take those 20% and do we say, okay, that's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the wholeness of what God does for us in Jesus Christ. Is that what we do with it? Do we try to rationalize it somehow? Put it in a place where we don't really have to have an expectation of God doing something miraculous? Because we haven't seen 100% of healing, does that mean we discount the 20% of the evidence we see in the Gospels? Much less the book of Acts. Much less... The different of it. Do we just say, well, you know, it happened then, but we don't, it just doesn't happen now. I want to say this too, that our, a lot of our struggles have to do with, well, if God heals and you believe God heals, then why don't you just go on up to the hospital there, Tim, and you clean out the hospitals, you know? And I find it interesting in the stories, and I know the Bible only has just a small amount of what Christ did and what the apostles did. But I do find it interesting that the stories have to do with specific moments in time. And where there were probably other moments that it really didn't happen. And there, but there are a lot of moments where it did. And so we just want to shove it all to the side and not expect things. And I think in the resurrection, Christ gives us this hope. He gives us this picture And I I want to deal with that. I want to say, look, no one is more aware than the need for help from people than me. (laughs) As far as doctors, as far as, you know, help other than just believing in the miraculous. Look, when you get to this stage of life, thank God for doctors. That's all I'm going to say, you know. And, And, hey, my eyes this week are going to get operated on to help me. Praise the Lord for my doctor. Dr. Royal, you are awesome. Thank you. You know, my back, I've got people to take care of. An old surfer who has been, eyes have been burnt out. His back is tortured. He ran too many miles early on in life. All of this, I love every bit of it. It's the sweetest pain I could ever have at this stage of my life. It's worth every bit of it. Every bit of it. So it's not, we can't just go, oh, here's the medical community, which we have a lot of doctors and nurses in our church. And so here they are. And oh, we're, we're discounting that. No, that is a part of it too. That is a beautiful part of God's wisdom and God's uh, giving us uh, a way in order to, to take care of ourselves and, and thank God for all the breakthroughs and all. But does that discount that other part? Do we just throw it out and say, let's don't expect a breakthrough in this place because we have that? Is that what we do? And so I want to talk about that today. And, you know, 41, 41, 41 times Jesus healed in the Gospels. 41 times. And uh, we're going to be over in Acts 3. Take your hand out, flip it over, look on the other side, and, uh, and we'll have a fill in there for you, as I do every week, and set this up. Look, in the book of Acts, which is a phenomenal biography of the early church, just read through it. I challenge you to read through it at least once a year. It doesn't take that long. And it's the most uh, narrative style of writing, I guess you can find in the scriptures. And so in Acts 2, 42 through 47, we see the new church as its birth. And in that section of scriptures early on, after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit has fallen on this new church, and people have heard the gospel in a new way, in a fresh way from Peter, a guy who was stumbled over his words right and left, who suddenly in the power of the Holy Spirit 
and the confrontation with Jesus and is now so prolific in how he can express the good news of Christ. The church is birthed. And in that part of scripture and the transition of the church, we see a church that's happy. We see a church whose needs are met, where they gather in their homes and they gather together. And it says that every need was met. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, the church takes care of itself. It's, this is the inward portion in this Acts 2, 42 through 47 part. The inward caring, the inward looking to one another and making sure one another are taken care of. And you're there for each other. And you do whatever it takes to see that one another are taken care of. Beautiful picture of the new community that Christ has birthed. But it doesn't stop there. The community is healthy. The community is taking care of itself. And then they begin to go out into their community because this isn't the only community there's a community out here that we're all a part of every single day right and so Peter and John are going to go to the temple book of Acts in the early portion is still kind of focused in on the Jewish believers Jewish people trying to reach them so the new believers are still going to the temple to pray and to worship and they're still reaching out to their Jewish brothers and sisters in the hopes that they will see who Christ is and so, you know, regular attendance at the temple, it was a busy place. People would gather at 9 o'clock for prayer in the morning. And you think an hour here is long on Sundays. 9 o'clock, <laughs> 9 o'clock, you know, in the mornings. At noon, they would gather. And at 3 o'clock, they would gather. Three times of prayer during the day. And it was a very busy place. People coming and going. It was not one solitary person here and there. No, there were just hundreds of people in and out, back and forth. And so this is happening at the 3 o'clock time, the story we're going to read. And uh, there at the doors on the outside would be the needy people, the poor and really the lame, the hurt, the broken. And some of these folks that were physically not... Uh, not healthy and all they couldn't even go into the temple to worship they were you know they just weren't up up to the grade to be able to be accepted in there and so they would they would be outside the temple and that would be a good place for them to ask for help and so they would ask for money of course and you would see the lame there you would see people in need there and it was just a normal occurrence and there was one guy that was there that day that some friends had taken him and carried him there. And he had been lame from birth. He had never walked. And, uh, let's, you know, Peter and John are on their way to the 3 o'clock prayer time. And they come across this guy. It's interesting, too. Peter and John, they're together, right? What a pair. Can you imagine that? Dynamic duo there. And, uh, but they're just being faithful to what Jesus said to go out together in pairs, you know. You see, like Philip ministered by himself some. We'll see that early on in the book of Acts. But it was commonplace that we not go alone, that somebody be with us when we go. And, and so Peter and John are on their way up to the temple uh, to pray. And let's read. I'm gonna, I want to read uh, Acts 3, 1 through 16. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from, uh, from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. 
Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. What a sight, I bet. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By, the faith, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Father, bless your word today. Jesus, thank you for your presence that we have already so enjoyed this morning in that, that last hymn and then the choir that sang this morning. Thank you for your presence that comes to give us hope and to encourage us. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you here this morning. We ask that you would come and teach us as Jesus promised you would. Lord, would you give me the gift of teaching over the next few minutes? Help me in my weakness. Bring your word to light. May you have your way here, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, time of prayer of 3 o'clock. Here's one of these, what, moments. At 3 o'clock is right in between the time when at 2.30 they would sacrifice, do the sacrifices in the temple. Now see, I don't think anything's just happenstance in the scripture. I think, I've told you this before. The backdrop to these stories is worth looking into. At 2.30, they would make the sacrifice. At 3.30, they would burn the sacrifice. At 3 o'clock, this man is healed. The sacrifice of Jesus has already come. He has completed it. The sacrifice, we don't need that anymore. But I, you know, being that Peter and John are ministering mostly to the Jewish people, I can't for a minute imagine that this didn't stick in their mind. While the sacrifices were going on in the temple and while this guy was being healed. And then after when they were burning the sacrifices on the altar, this guy is holding on to Peter really tight and he's dancing. And he's, <laughs> he's like, what the heck just happened? I love it. This is great. And so, right in the middle of that, the sacrifice paid, to me it's like a picture of the, the sacrifice that, that was Jesus, has been laid over the top of the Jewish rituals and all of the calls at that moment to say the kingdom has come finally. Finally, the answer has come. What you've been looking for has come in Christ. And this man, he reaches up and he does like he's done a hundred times before. He asks for some money. 
Now, being that Peter and John have been there many times before, I wonder how many times they walked past him. I wonder how many times he's been there. I wonder how many times he had received money, but this time was different. This time would be different. This time. Peter doesn't have any money. He's got a silver. He doesn't have any gold, but he says, I do have something. (laughs) And every Christian has something. Every believer has something. What I do have. I give to you in Jesus name in Jesus name and it doesn't end there he reaches his hand down his right hand his right hand that hand of fellowship that hand that says my brother come and he grabs him and he helps him to his feet in that moment he's up and it says jumped walked maybe your translation of the Bible says he leaped <laughs> but he was pretty excited you know I mean, think you ever seen these little deer you know that are that are born and and uh, and they get their legs and, and and then they start dancing around and you know in the Old Testament that's kind of a description of those who have come to know the love of Jesus the love of God is it's like dancing and there's such a happiness and this man was so happy to be healed and uh, I think if Easter says anything it says life and in your first fill in is this Jesus is the author of life now one of the things you'll find out about my fill-in is I have a firm grasp on the obvious <laughs> so you won't be going wow that was deep you know I just want to call yourself back to the things that I think really reinforce to us the truth of the scripture Jesus is the author of life Peter says you killed the author the originator the one who is who is responsible for all of life you killed him what a contrast killing life but that's not the end of the story is it the one who gives life I mean in John 1 we read that through Jesus through him all things were created So anything that had life has come through Jesus from all the way back to to that point in time, to this point in time. He is the author of life, the giver of life. And uh, and the question is, did Jesus ever do anything but good? Did he ever do anything but good? Was there anything but life about his life and what he did for others and what he looked at and how he looked at people? Was there anything other than good? And yet... His life had been taken from him. I, I would challenge you a little Bible study. If you have a concordance on your phone. Or you can use a, a U version. Or a blue letter Bible. Whichever one you use. And go and look up these two words together. Jesus life. Just do a study of those two words. And see what you come up with. And just read through it. Just read through every place. Where you see the name Jesus. And you see life. You'll come away so encouraged. John 10, 10, it says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He is the author of life. He's the one that brings life. He's the one that has written life into our history and has made it available to us. And Peter says to the people who are calling him into account at this time, can you imagine for doing good? There's a guy who's never walked and suddenly the Sadducees, because they didn't believe in a resurrection. And, you know, Peter is preaching the resurrection of Christ here. They're sad, you see, because they don't believe, you know, in a resurrection, (laughs) you know. And uh, and so they're like, man, this this can't happen because we don't believe in it, right? I mean, things can't happen if you don't believe in them, can they? 
Because you don't believe it, does that make it not true? Just saying. Second one, this one. Now look at Peter's response. Jesus has been raised to life. But he says after that, but God raised him from the dead. You put the author of life to death. This is in, as he's taking on the religious leaders at the time, after this guy has been healed. You put him, but God, that wasn't the end of the story. But God, look, when you're the author of the book, you get to write the last chapter. Jesus is the author of life. You put him to death, but he's the author. He's writing the story, right? So that's not the, you know, if you're getting a book and you stop it like third, man, I don't know how this is going to end. You know, it's looking bad in the middle. Sometimes the middle doesn't matter because the end's coming. And in this, they thought it was over. You killed the author of life. But the author is still writing the book. The Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. And Peter says, you don't get to have the last word in this book. You thought you killed the author. You did kill the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. Second one, Jesus has been raised to life. To life. Because he is the author of life. The originator of life. And I love the phrase, but God. Can you say that? But God. Because there are situations in our life where if we don't have those two words, it can be pretty sad. But God. But God raised him from the dead. If Jesus had stayed in the grave, he would have been just another sad figure in history. But he didn't. We would have said he was a martyr. He said some cool things. And some people believe that. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that, you know what, we would just be a sad group of people if that's all we had, that he went to the cross and he died. But that wasn't the end of it because he's the author of life. He gets to finish the book. God raised him from the dead. And get this, Romans 8, 10 through 11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Does that describe you? Do you have the spirit of Jesus living in you right now? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Did you know that same spirit is going to quicken your body one day out of the grave? Now, see, we, we take great hope in that out there. But how about right now? How about right now that that same power of the Holy Spirit is living in you right now? We would just go, hey, one day, maybe God will raise me from the dead. You know, it'll be cool. No, that power of God is resident in you right now. Right now. There is resurrection power living in you. Peter made sure everyone understood it wasn't because they were so awesome that this man was healed. It wasn't because he had the right you know, verbiage. It wasn't because he was so great. It wasn't because he was so spectacular. He was so loud. Very simple words, right? Just said it in passing. Bang. And he said, why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk. We didn't do it. We didn't do this. It wasn't us. And your third feeling is Jesus is the source of life. He is the one that that life comes from. He is the one that healed that man. He's the one, and his spirit in us is going to raise us up in that last day. Same spirit that raised his body up, it lives in you right now. Jesus is the source of life. By faith in the name of Jesus, it is the name 
of Jesus. Um, you know, nowadays names don't mean as much to us, uh, but in this time, your name carried a certain amount of authority, or it didn't. Uh, you, I remember the day when your name could mean a lot of things. It got you favor, or it kept you in your place. I got a job one time, confession, kind of a governmental job one time, back when I was right out of college, and the guy called me, who happened to be a politician, and said, are you kin to so-and-so with the same last name? And I said, not that I know of. He said, good, because he's a Republican, and I wouldn't let you get this job <laughs> if, uh, if, you, if you were kin to him. Names, right? Good to bad. Now, he could have been a Democrat. Don't, I'm not picking on anybody, right? Because this is a no-party zone right here. And so... Uh, but that's the way it was, you know. It was like I got off the phone. I'm a young guy in my 20s. I'm like, man, that's not right. <laughs> you know, it's just not right. You know, can I do the job or not? That's all I want to know. You know, do you believe I can do the job? Let me do the job. And, uh, but now, names don't mean as much. Then the name of Jesus meant there was authority in that name, just like the name of Caesar. And that's what was such a challenge to them was that Jesus said he was Lord. And you can only have one. You can't have Caesar and you can't have Jesus. It's which one's going to be your Lord? Which one are you going to live your life for? Who are you going to listen to? It was in that name, the name of Jesus. He was Lord, Lord of all. Of all. And so it's in that name, Peter says. See, we act, and Peter and John acted as agents of Jesus. That's what we are. We're secret. Hopefully not agents. <laughs> Some of us are secret agents. But we're special agents of the king. Oracles. We speak forth the word of God. Representative of the king of the kingdom. Citizens of the rule and the reign of God. Who have been invested with the Holy Spirit. That will raise our bodies from the dead one day. Given that as a down payment for what is to come. To live in this world today so people can see the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. We are agents of the king. Every single one of us. All of us. And Peter says that's what we are. You know, agents act in the honor of the one in whom they represent. Not for themselves. They act in honor of that one. So as we pray for people, as we're there for people, we're acting in honor of our king. In honor of. We're agents of the king. And the name of Jesus means on Jesus' behalf. When we pray for people, I'm praying over you on Jesus' behalf. When I pray for something, you pray for me, you're praying on Jesus' behalf. You're agents of the king of Christ who authorized us to go into the world and to pray. I want Ronnie and Terry Winterhalter to come up and... Um, you're going to share a story with us. Here you go, Ronnie. Why don't you guys just tell us a brief little who you are and what you do for a living or what you've done? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Terry Winterhalter, and um, Oh man! Woo! Wow. Uh, amen. And how about you, Ronnie? I mean, you're a great husband, obviously, so that's <laughs> which is awesome. I'm a uh, 
My name is Ryan Winterhalder. I'm retired law enforcement. I'm down here taking care of my wife. Thank you. <laughs> it's like a job. You guys had a situation in your life. Some of us in the church are probably aware, but not, not all for sure. But can you give us an overview of something you went through not that long ago? So, yeah. A uh, couple of years ago, I started having some very crazy symptoms. Uh, long story short, I had a brain tumor removed, which was not cancer. It was a blessing. But I had a lot of complications from the medications they gave me after, which unfortunately put me into a deep, dark depression, uh, depression where I could not have any sort of love in my life, any um, positive emotions. I couldn't even feel the Lord. I, I felt spiritually dead. The amount of medications they kept giving me, nothing helped. Until they realized that uh, my sodium had been put to a very low level. They put me in the hospital again, um, treated me again, took me home. Nothing, nothing at all was helping. I um, continued that way for many months. And like I said, I felt emotionally dead, uh, spiritually dead. Until one day, uh, almost a year from the date of when I had the surgery and the tumor removed, my daughter came upon me because my husband and son were out of town, uh, finding me unconscious. Uh, they determined that I'd been having a seizure for, what they tell you, 12 to 14 hours steady. Uh, I quit breathing, my heart stopped, um, resuscitated me, sent me to MUSC. I uh, had no brain activity at that time, which continued for uh, almost 11 days. And so I was spiritually dead, emotionally dead, and physically dead, all of it. Uh, on that day, my husband was approached by the doctors at MUSC about turning off life support, that there was uh, essentially no hope of recovery, uh, that that was you know, their protocol. So he didn't want to make that decision that day because it was our son's birthday. Uh, they. Um, decided they would do it the following day. So they all came in, everybody said their goodbyes, <coughs> prayed over me. Um, I should back up a little bit. <laughs> this, this makes me cry. <laughs> a couple days prior to this, our daughter who was newly engaged decided that she would like me to be at her wedding. And it didn't look like that would happen any other way but for her to get married at my bedside. So Tim and Karen, gracefully drove to Charleston and performed the ceremony for them. Uh, first in the chapel and then again in my room. Um, I got to be unaware. So that, it, that was both joyful and hard at the same time. Um, on that day, that was our son's birthday, was um, ironically the same day as the eclipse, the solar eclipse happening. And he said his goodbyes, but I became responsive. And the doctors didn't believe it. They said it was reflexive. Uh, but I continued to respond more and more after that. And the first thing I remember when I opened my eyes was um, my son's head on my chest. Uh, when I woke up, it took me a couple days to be totally with it. But, I'm sorry. I just wanted okay. to add that um, when we made the decision, we had uh, spoke to the family. Um, at that time, they were telling us uh, they do random tests with the 
respirator, and she was only breathing on her own for about nine minutes. So they told us that uh, because of the extended seizure, that if she in the lack of density, that if she even woke up, that um, she would be very limited in um, that, that her abilities. Because one of the things they try to limit with seizures are the time, the length, the duration. So they try to keep them short if they happen, because of after a certain amount of time, it starts damaging your brain, and they, they, the theory was that she had been having a seizure when, before she was found for like 12 or 14 hours. So, um, the, what the doctors were telling me is, if she did even wake up, that she'd have little to no um, mental activity or whatever you want to call it. But um, leading up to that, she was only. They would te randomly test on the respirator, and she would only breathe on her own for nine minutes before her body gave up. So, um, as a family, we made the decision to go ahead and uh, turn off the respirator there. Um, and I, again, just like Terry said, we, we delayed it a day because it was my son's birthday. And um, that morning, my daughter had called me in because she just couldn't emotionally sit there anymore. So. Um, I came in and I had a moment alone with Terry and, and, and uh, just felt the Lord telling me to talk to her, tell her. So I leaned into her <laughs> here on this side and I was uh, just telling her how much I loved her and that I would, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was just, I just knew, I just thought the Lord was telling me this was the last moment I'd have with my wife. So we've been together since high school and uh, I just was telling her everything from the bottom of my heart, how much I loved her. I would take care of the kids. and um, I, knew, I knew that you'd be with the Lord. I told her, I said, I know Jesus is with you, and I'm going to be with him someday with you. But uh, the Lord would get us through it. But uh, after, after telling her that, I leaned back, and she opened up her eye and looked at me. Her left eye opened up and looked at me. And they had, <coughs> they had cautioned me that with people with this amount of brain damage, sometimes they'll <coughs> move or their eye will open and don't, you know, that's just maybe a natural response. And, but I said to her, I said, Terry, can you, can you see me? Can you hear me? And uh, she, I moved my, my head and she followed me with her eye. <laughs> and, um, up to 11 days prior, I don't know if you've had anything in your life with this. Um, neurologically, they test them by giving them pain. They, tr they come in and they'll, they would cause her pain to see if she would react, if her body would curl up from the pain, and she wasn't doing that. There was nothing. There was, initially when they first got her to MESC, she reacted to pain. She had a big seizure again, and that was it. It was, everything was turned off. And they basically described it like her brain was turned off, and um, there was no way they could turn it back on. But uh, that morning, I, when, I, when I said that to her, I leaned back, and she looked at me. I ran out and grabbed the nurse. He came in and he kind of tried to <laughs> manage me like this could be just her eye opening up. And he grabbed her hands and started yelling at her. And she opened her eye again and looked at him and said, can you squeeze my hands? And she squeezed his hands. And he, and he looked at me and his eyes were... <laughs> and he was a believer because we had talked about it earlier. He, he was a great guy. Everybody at MUC was wonderful, but he was a believer. He knew we were praying over her, and I was reading my Bible laying next to her bed. He knew the decision we'd made, so he came in, and he lovingly said, you know, I'm a believer, too. I know where she's going. I, you're doing the right thing. Um, 
Because making that decision, <laughs> I, I, I know some people may, may have made that decision out here, and uh, that is a, it's a very, very hard thing. It's the hardest thing. Um, anyway, he looked at me, and I said to him, what's going on? <laughs> you know, you, you had we were you know, turning the machine off. They'd taken her off everything, um, except the respirator. And uh, he just started pointing at the ceiling. <laughs> I'm like, God woke her up. And um, over the next few weeks, we didn't know how much brain function she'd have. So the next few weeks, we just kept praying over her, and she's better than ever. put up on the screen what this is what they Ronnie and Terry sent to me can you see the report miraculous healing this, this is, is <laughs> Yeah, what was going on in the background, too, all the time was I was getting these texts from some of you and getting these uh, messages like, we're not giving up on Terry, we're praying, you know. All of this is going on in the background. And, uh, and so let me bring this to a close with three things there in, at the bottom of your page there. First is, how do we do this? How do we continue to pray? First, one of the things, one of the defining characteristics of Jesus was his compassion for people compassion for people 
And when you sense that in you, dear believer, when you feel the heart of God for someone who is in pain, someone who is hurting, when you feel that, a lot of times for us, for those of us who follow Jesus, it is the heart of Christ. It is the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. It is that resurrection power of hope for life from the altar of life that is pushing us and pulling us toward that person. And so let's don't, let's don't dampen the compassion. Some of us are scared of it. I get scared of it. I get overwhelmed with it sometimes. But sometimes that is the momentum of what God is doing to push us into a place to pray for people. You know, the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't happen all the time. I know that. Look, here's a quick, quick lesson. Already in the not yet of the kingdom. You've heard it here in the vineyard over and over again. Here is the not yet of the kingdom. Nothing was going on. There was no healings. There's nothing. Jesus comes into life and he goes, the kingdom is near. The kingdom of God is his hand. Just do that. We spent almost a year in this church looking at the book of Matthew. And every time it said the kingdom of heaven, we looked at it for a year. Every time you see that, you see usually Jesus doing something amazing. The kingdom of God, the rule and the reign is near. The other side of this is when Jesus returns and the kingdom is going to be here in fullness. There will be no sick. There will be no lame. There will be no loneliness. There will be no tears for that. That's this side. We live right in the middle. We're in a war zone between the not yet and the already. And so we pray, your kingdom come, Lord. Your kingdom come. And so compassion, we have compassion when we pray. We have compassion when the healing doesn't come. What do we do? We come alongside, just like the scripture tells us. We get up under each other and we hold each other. We minister to each other. We're there with one another. Compassion rules and reigns no matter the outcome, whatever. But don't write off the compassion of Jesus in your heart to pray for someone for healing. And so compassion. Secondly, consistency. Be consistent in it. You know, don't, don't slough off these moments. Like Peter and John, I think about them. They went there day, day in, day out. Look at your area where you go every day. And suddenly God goes, there. I've been bringing in you. I've been bringing you in here. I'm getting ahead of my thoughts. I'm watching the clock too much. But um, I've been bringing you in here for a long time. And now suddenly you notice that person. That guy may have been there at the temple for who knows how long where Peter and John had been going in there. They've been going in there 9, 12, 3 o'clock since Pentecost or before. But suddenly they see him and they hear him. In that moment, be consistent in keeping your eyes open, dear Christian, to pray for them. Look, you know, like I said, how many, what are we going to do? Just not pray for people when they're sick? Well, God wants to heal them, that's good. If not, they go to heaven. Hallelujah. Is that what we're called to do? Why is there 20% of Jesus' teaching doing with healing? Why does he say go out and lay hands on the sick? Why does he say that unless he wants us to participate with him in this intermediate zone, in this place where we're not quite to the fullness of the kingdom yet, but we still can see it come in. We still see it break in. We're to partner with him. Be consistent in that. And then uh, have confidence in Jesus' name. You know, it's not about me. It's not about you. And Peter said this over and over again in this story. He's like, don't look at me, even though this dude's hanging on to Peter. Can you imagine? He's like, you're awesome. You healed me. You know, I've never walked in my life, and he's so grateful. But Peter says, you know, it's not me. It's the name of Jesus. The name in which every knee will bow one day and every tongue confess that he is Lord. He's the name above all names. John 1, he is the one in whom all things were made. All life flows through him. He is the healer. It's him. So 
you know, God has given us all kind of ways to pray for one another. Have confidence in Jesus' name. We, we can pray in Starbucks for somebody. We can pray on the way to church. All of these are out there somewhere. We can pray one-on-one. We can pray in groups. And James, we're told to call for the elders, the leaders of the church, anoint with oil, a picture of the Holy Spirit coming on the person. That's what that is. You lay hands. I believe people can get healed during communion as we celebrate, which we'll do next week. Right at the, as we take communion together, there are all kinds of ways God has given us and practices to see if we could see someone healed. I want us to read this passage of scripture out of this same story together here. And we'll pray. Can you put this up? Can we pray this together? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you still break into this earth that you love and you gave your life for. Thank you that you still heal, you still restore, and you always come alongside to comfort, Lord, in every situation. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.